Hello and welcome to episode 91 of the NFL Scotland podcast. The lockdown may have begun, but we're still having some fun. And the NFL news is coming thick and fast. My name is Cameron Hobbs. I thought you were talking about the Prime Minister thick and fast there. Anyway, my name is Paul Mitchell. Free agency continues to evolve as most of the top players have been snapped up. However, there's a few big names have yet to find a home. We always plan to pick up on some of your suggested talking points in the postseason, so we'll be kicking that off by trying to explain how the fixture list works. And as ever, we'll wrap up with some of the other news, including our thoughts on the incredible new LA Rams logo. And to do all this, we're joined once again by NFL Scotland regular and PFF senior analyst Gordon McGuinness. Hello, Gordon. Hello, guys. How's it going? Good. Gordon, it's very well. Have you been promoted or were you always senior analyst? I've got like a whole bunch of different hats. I mean, technically, I think my job now is social media manager, um, but I've done kind of everything. So, ah, fantastic. Welcome along. Yeah, I can edit that out if you want, Gordon. We'll call you whatever you want, which is <laughs> no, ream off no, a bunch fine. of positions. <laughs> I've got like about eight different jobs. So <laughs> Flexibility is key. That's what I find, you well, know. This is it. This uh, is it. Tremendous. So since, since we last met, there's been a little bit of activity, not necessarily quite as much, but uh, we were just talking about before we came on air, some of the things that have happened, and we need to recap on a few bits and pieces. So let's kick off with the running back market, because a couple of big name players, certainly from fantasy football two years ago, these guys probably both would have gone in your first round, if not early in the second round. Um, Melvin Gordon ends up at the Denver Broncos, and then Todd Gurley is released by the Rams and is very quickly snapped up and paid by the Atlanta Falcons. So guys, I'm going to kick off first of all by asking simply, which one of those do you think is the better one? I, I would go with Melvin Gordon uh, to Denver. I think that's the better pickup. I think he's got more in him. I think the in terms of reach, the Falcons have reached. I mean, if they get Todd Gurley of a couple of years ago, fantastic. If they got Todd Gurley of last year, it's a disaster. I think if you if you had to ask me who I think the better player is, it's Melvin Gordon. But I don't really understand that move from the the angle that they have Philip Lindsay um, and Freeman there as well. So they've got two running backs who did really well over the last couple of years both on rookie contracts, one was an undrafted free agent. So I don't really understand why they've gone out and spent big at running back when there's better value to be had elsewhere. I don't. I wonder how much Todd Gurley has left, even though he's young, all the injuries to his knee and everything that he's had. But I don't hate the value for them in picking him up because um, the Rams obviously had to take a big salary hit in releasing him. Uh, the, the Falcons are paying him, I think, about $5 million a year, which... It's probably a little bit steep for him, um, but I don't think it's as bad value as as what the Broncos have done. It is an interesting one. Like you say, you know, you go back a couple of years ago and these were both stud players for different reasons. They're coming into this not quite what they once were. With Garley, have we ever got to the bottom of the injury? Like, I still feel like there's a big, massive question mark here as to whether or not this injury is as bad as some people have indicated, whether it's even there at all. He definitely has regressed, but it wasn't used as much. It felt like the Rams regressed as a whole. Therefore, is some of the the sort of downgrade in play, not just down to the fact he maybe isn't quite as explosive as he once was, but overall that team suffered? Well, it's interesting, Cameron, because... You know, it all started, you know, round about the playoff times in the Super Bowl and he wasn't used. I don't think the Rams handled it particularly well. I don't think the coaching staff handled it particularly well. And there is that human side that comes in. If you feel slightly unloved or unwanted, uh, you might not feel that you're going to give your all. I mean, Todd Gurley could become a stunning success with Atlanta. I mean, they certainly needed a running back. And I take Gordon's point, they needed a running back much, much more than Denver needed a running back. But what are you going to get out of them in a division now where we expect Tampa to be a lot more competitive? New Orleans, I still think, are the team to beat. So Atlanta is certainly, you know, rolling the dice and saying, you know, we had a lot of problems last year and we think Todd, Todd Gurley can fix it. One of the issues that the Falcons had last year felt like the red zone. Do you think that the pickup of Gurley is as much to address that? Looking back at last year, it wasn't a great year. He still managed to run in 12 rushing touchdowns. He caught two additional 
touchdowns through the air. Do you think that, you know, obviously Julio Jones, we have seen for so long, get the Falcons down the field. But when it got down to that final, and to be honest, it wasn't even the, the whole red zone. It was that last 10. Anything that was a, a first and goal, they always seem to struggle with. Gurley could be the answer that they're looking for in a position that they struggled with last year because Freeman just wasn't ever fit at any point. There was nobody there that could really come in and step in. This automatically feels like an upgrade. Yeah, and I think I, I think he's an upgrade over Freeman. It's going to come down to um, how good the offensive line is as well. I think the scheme fits Gurley's running style quite well. Um, I think the really interesting thing with this, though, is that both with Melvin Gordon um, and with Gurley once he was released, despite the fact that he got snapped up straight away by Atlanta, the market in terms of big money contracts for running backs really hasn't been there. Um, I think Melvin Gordon's working out at a top five, pay, top five paid running back right now, but he's at about half of the yearly salary of Le'Veon Bell, of Ezekiel Elliott up at the top there. So the really interesting thing with this is that the NFL seems to have caught on quickly that the value isn't there in paying running backs top money, um, but the Dallas Cowboys have just spent a significant amount of money uh, on Ezekiel Elliott, and now you know they don't have a long-term deal with Dak Prescott. So I wonder if the, the kind of side part of this story is uh, the running back market might make the Cowboys feel a little bit foolish in the next couple of years. I'm sure there's more than the running back market to make them feel foolish. But yes, a, a valid point <laughs> for sure. Um, the age of Gurley as well has got to come into play here because he's still young. I think that's the thing that I keep forgetting. He's still just 25 years old. He will be 26 when the new season starts. Melvin Gordon himself is currently 26, will be 27 when the new season starts. But OK, running back ages, you tend to find that only the sort of special utility type running backs go long into their 30s with the exception of Frank Gore who will play forever um, he will outlive the coronavirus uh, the 10th time round it goes um, but you know these are still there's still running backs that if they can keep themselves fit are still in their prime so they could be vitally important pieces coming back to the point about the Broncos do you think that the Gordon pickup and the fact that they've now added a third running back do you think that's a bit of a nod to the Niners and how effective the run game was in San Francisco last year? Well, I think it's interesting to see how how they're going. I mean, Gordon mentioned it; they've got they've got two decent running backs under rookie contract. So, are they just going to go exceptionally run heavy and try and support the new starting quarterback? Obviously, Flacco has gone from there. So, are they just going to become a run heavy team? You look at who they're up against, you know, how will they face up against Kansas City? How will they face up against Oakland? It's a really fascinating division in terms of how it goes. But I think Melvin Gordon comes in with good statistics. Todd Gurley simply doesn't. I think it was his lowest receiving average. Uh, it was his second lowest ever rushing average that he came in. I mean, he still played 15 games last year. And I think, you know, we kind of forget that. I think, you know, he's played pretty a lot of games. So the, the durability, you would think, is there. And I, I still think Atlanta can get a lot out of him. Melvin Gordon had a very strange year, I think. I mean, Gordon, you might know better. I mean, it's a salient lesson sometimes. You've got to take the contract that's on offer. Yeah, and I think I think that ties into to kind of where the value is with running backs. I don't think Melvin Gordon um, held out because he thought he could get a much better deal than the Chargers were offering. Um, and all that happened was Austin Eckler had a really nice um, season before Melvin Gordon came back. They opted to re-sign him to um, a fairly fairly sensible deal on their part. Um, and maybe if maybe if they don't think they can quite get what Melvin Gordon can give them. Um, they're only paying a fraction of what they'd offered Melvin Gordon. Um, so I think that's where it makes sense for the Chargers. And that's why both uh, Gurley and Melvin Gordon have had to sign deals that are below what they were asking for or what they were previously on. Another another question for you, Gordon, in terms of, you know, for people who are listening. So if you're analysing running backs and wide receivers, would I be correct in saying that often the gap between running back one and running back two is a lot narrower than the gap between wide receiver one and wide receiver two. It's huge, yeah. It's a it's a huge difference between running backs and receivers, and um, 
it, one of the things that we've done over the last couple of years, our, our data scientists have looked at and um, yeah, a phrase that's common in the analytics world just now is running backs don't matter. And it's not it's not to say that, you know, you know we could put in you or me at running back and we're going to put up a thousand yards. But it's just it speaks to how much more important the offensive line is and how much more important the scheme is to how good a running back is going to be. And it's why we've seen teams um, be so successful with running backs that have been undrafted free agents that have been third and fourth round draft picks. Um, and I think, as I said a little bit earlier, I think teams are starting to catch up with that now and the smarter teams in the NFL just aren't handing out big money contracts to running backs. Money's not going to running backs, but money does still sometimes go to wide receivers. Um, although, Paul, you predicted this on the last podcast. Emmanuel Sanders moves from San Francisco onto a two-year contract with the New Orleans Saints. I'm gutted to see him go, so you must be pretty delighted to see him come in. Yeah, I mean, I might be short of PFF's data scientists, although I'd love to work for an organization that had data scientists. Sounds very sexy. I just felt that this had to come from the Saints. If you looked around, you have got to feed Drew Brees this year. This this to me this to me is his swan song. I know he's signed a two year deal. This to me is the swan song. You've got Thomas on one side and you've got Sanders on the other. I mean, that's the S Express, you know, getting ready to go on one side and Thomas on the other. I think that's a fabulous pickup. And I mean, I'd, I'd heard by, you know, reading and, and things like that, that it was likely he was going to go to New Orleans. Absolutely delighted. Apparently his grandma is from New Orleans or somebody's got some connection to New Orleans. So there's a wee family connection there. But I'm delighted to see him. I think he's just one of these players that lifts your offense and Drew Brees must have been absolutely delighted when he saw that news popping in his email. Now, I think the thing that excites me the most is that it almost sets up um, like an arms race in the NFC South. And I hope we're going to get a whole bunch of their games in primetime this year, um, even if it means we've got to stay up a little bit later because <laughs> you know the, the Bucks have added Tom Brady. So you've now got Tom Brady thrown to Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Uh, the Atlanta Falcons already had Matt Ryan thrown to Julio Jones. Um, Calvin Ridley is you know, a kind of player who blows hot and cold, but is not a bad number two. And now the Saints go out and add Emmanuel Sanders to that offense. So, you know, the Panthers are probably feeling a little bit left out in the cold. They're probably building for the future at this point. But those other three teams in the NFC South, there could be some, you know, some 30 plus points on either side when they play this year. See, I think that's fascinating because what do you do if you are Carolina, you reckon Breeze has got a year, possibly two left in him. Brady is exactly the same. So they're going to tick over to new quarterbacks at some point. Can you stack yourself? You know, do, I, 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 no team wants to go out and lose. But if you can think to yourself, OK, we'll have a look at some trades. We'll try and stockpile some draft picks for next year. And I'll tell you what, when they have to lose their quarterbacks and are scrambling about, we could be ready to go. Yeah, I think that's absolutely correct. I think, you know, you almost have to, with the way rookie quarter, rookie quarterbacks contracts work, you have to kind of try and navigate your window correctly. And I think the Panthers might want to look and try and do what the Dolphins did. And whether or not the Dolphins did this deliberately or not, their window of landing a quarterback and a rookie deal is happening right as um, the, the Patriots get rid of Tom Brady, and right as things open up in the AFC East. So, um, you know, in another year or so, the Buffalo Bills are going to have to decide if they're signing Josh Allen to a big contract. Same with the Jets and Sam Darnold. The Dolphins are going to be right there to kind of take advantage of that. So maybe the Panthers sit there and say, OK, we're not going to be able to compete with these teams the next year, the next two years. But what we're going to do is get ourselves in a position whereby, you know, we're we're in a position where we can take a quarterback next year. He can sit behind Teddy Bridgewater for a little bit, and then in two years' time, um, when the the Bucks have no longer have Tom Brady, the Saints no longer have Drew Brees, Matt Ryan's a little bit older again. All of a sudden, they're there with a roster set up to go and attack things. So that might be the play for Carolina. Some other interesting signings that have taken place in free agency then that we can very quickly skip over. Uh, feel free to call out anything that you feel needs to be called out. Uh, a couple that stick out those chance, uh, Warmack signing with the Seahawks. That feels like a potentially, uh, there's not a lot of risk because it's not a massive contract that he's on, but the reward there could be huge if he can be fit. Uh, a very important player that they could be adding. The Colts cut Brian Hoyer and he was snapped up pretty quickly by the New England Patriots for his third spell 
in New England. He's yet to start a game from his first two, so you never know. Maybe he'll start <laughs> one. Um, other than that, Dion Lewis signed by the New York Giants. Obviously, uh, with Barkley there, that'll be to provide some support, some backup. Uh, and Stephen Gotzkowski has been cut by the New England Patriots. What of all that tickles your fancy, lads? Well, I, I always like to look at kickers, and Gutskowski's been there a long time. You know, will he end up in Tampa Bay? Who knows? You know, is he a mate of Brady's? You never know. I think that there's been some very interesting ones. Um, I mean, New England have lost a few players to Detroit. In in saying, and um, when I say lost, Detroit looked like they're becoming the New England reserves at the moment. Danny Shelton, who was over here with the NFL uh, UK, uh, has moved that way. The one that surprised me slightly was Jason Witten going from Dallas to Las Vegas and I can't quite work out why he would want to do that if the idea was he came back and was just so comfortable in Dallas and wanted to be a cowboy but all of a sudden he's a raider I think the answer is money um, for the reason that he did it he's on quite a healthy contract is he not out in Las Vegas Um I'm just trying to have a look at the moment. I'm sure I saw something to say that he was going to be getting earning four million or something like that, which is a player of his age. Uh, yeah, it's quite something. Um, yeah, I mean, there's also there's also the thing, Cameron. Deal. Yeah, that you might want to go to. You you are making history. You are part of the first squad of the the Las Vegas Raiders. You know, you get the first chance to be part of that. So it might just be he just wants to be part of a different organisation moving into a new stadium and playing at a great place and just seeing how it goes. The four million bucks won't, won't, won't do him any harm either. Maybe he thinks working for Mike Mayock, he'll be able to work on his... Uh television colour commentary skills as well and uh, get some get some extra experience off of him before he goes back to ESPN when his playing career finishes. Uh, let's, well, let's, let's not go down that route. <laughs> with, uh, with, with Gruden as the head coach, Jason Witten there, maybe they just need to go all out and just bring back Booger McFarlane to play defensive tackle like he did for Gruden in his first stint as a head coach. I'm forgetting Gruden's here as well. Absolutely. This is like a TV deal right here in... <laughs> Yeah, but it must be great, isn't it? If you were in the room, so you're Gruden and you're Mayock and you've got Witten in front of you signing the deal saying, just remember your playing days don't last a long time, but if you ever want to become a good TV analyst, speak to either of us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, right, before we move on to who's not been snapped up, anything else taking your fancy? There was a trade, wasn't there, actually? Well, yeah, there's... the one... The one yeah. I like is uh, the Seahawks trading for Quinton Dunbar from uh, the Washington Redskins. Dunbar graded really well for us last year at PFF. Um, not someone who's got like a long uh, kind of history of really strong play, but they only traded a fifth round pick for him. And it's, you know, the, the latest in a line of fifth round picks that have turned into um, something pretty substantial for teams this offseason. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think it's great. If you can get the, the, the right trade for the right value, you know, sometimes it's teams just want to move somebody through. I mean, Austin Hooper, Atlanta to Cleveland. I'm not convinced that's a particularly wise move for Austin Hooper. I would have thought, you know, Cleveland's still a bit of a a strange place to go and it's another new head coach. And, you know, given the fact that, you know, Todd Gurley's coming in, you've got that air attack. I like Hooper as a, a tight end there. I thought that was slightly strange. So moving on then to start to talk about some of the guys that haven't been snapped up yet. Uh, and PFF have just done an article on this one, Gordon. So we'll let you take the floor with this. But for you, who are the, the big names yet to be snapped up that we should be keeping an eye out for? Yeah, the big ones, obviously Cam Newton just being released so or due to be released today. So um, you've got him, you've got Jameis Winston, um, Jadavion Clowney still there, which is really surprising. Um, and I think probably Robbie Anderson at wide receiver kind of rounds out the top guys still left. I think after that, there's probably um, a little bit of a drop-off. I think the the one thing that um, a guy, Ben Lindsay, who writes for us, who wrote this article today, he's he's put the perfect fit for Jameis Winston is in Pittsburgh with the Steelers. And as much as I don't like the Steelers, I, I love that fit because I think Winston, I know you like this line, uh, Paul, the, the line from Jeff Darlington is the market for Winston is currently ice cold. Um, and I think that that probably tells you that 
the best thing he can do is probably go somewhere and be a backup this year. Um, I think the number of interceptions he threw last year is entirely um, tainted any any kind of idea of anyone signing him as a starting quarterback. And I think maybe he needs to go sit behind someone for a year, let people forget about those a little bit, and maybe get a little bit of time in spot duty or you know stepping up for injuries. Um, and maybe he can sit there in Pittsburgh uh, and you know this time next year when the quarterback market has changed, maybe he can go and land himself a starting job somewhere. Yeah, I mean, we talked on the last podcast about where he could possibly land, and credit to Cameron, he did suggest the Steelers, but not as a starter, because we couldn't see where he would go as a starter. I mean, it just looked impossible for him. But if you're Drew Brees and Matt Ryan, you're having a wee beer because you've chased Cam Newton from Carolina and you've chased James Winston from Tampa Bay, both coming in, we're trying to, you know, upsurp you, and they've not been able to do that. Now, Cam Newton is just one of these... I, I, I don't like the persona that came across in Hard Knocks, etc. I'm not a big Cam Newton fan, but there's no doubt he has got talent and he can lead a good team. Now, the suggestion here is the New England Patriots. I don't think that's um, completely out of bounds, to be perfectly honest. The LA Chargers, to me, is another potential place for him to go. I've seen somebody suggesting Miami, but I don't think Miami don't want any complications. They, they're going to be drafting somebody, I suspect, that will become their guy. I don't think they want Newton around there. So, And the, the other one you, you mentioned was, was Robbie Anderson. Um, I, are you surprised, Gordon, that the Jets have let him go? Yeah, I think, and I think he might wind up back at the Jets with, I think probably him and Clowney are guys who've gone out and the market hasn't been... Um, as big as they thought it was going to be. And I think their their previous teams are probably thinking, you know, we can bring you back at, at, at kind of where we were thinking the contract was rather than where you were. Um, but Robbie Anderson, I think, is, is a really good deep threat. And that's something that in the NFL is always valuable. You know, he's got incredible deep speed. Um, and, you know, he might not be the most complete wide receiver in the NFL, but it's pretty surprising that someone hasn't gone and picked them up. I suppose the flip side of that is possibly if you look ahead to the draft, everyone's talking about this being the deepest wide receiver draft in a good long time. And, you know, we could see 20 come off the board in the first three rounds and things like that. So maybe people are looking ahead and thinking, look, I can get, I can get 90% of what Robbie Anderson can give me um, in the third round of the draft this year. And I don't need to shell out seven, 8 million a year. Yeah, I think that's possibly why, because with Emmanuel Sanders leaving San Francisco, actually, I thought Robbie Anderson might be somebody that San Francisco look at. Uh, definitely the best wide receiver left in free agency, I would say. I don't think Brashad Perriman, even though he showed little glimpses towards the end of last season, uh, I don't think he's anything that you would get excited about. Robbie Anderson has shown he is a threat, and I think that, you know, he's, he's not had any great quarterbacks throwing to him in his time uh, the Jets so far as well, but he's always been fairly productive without ever being sensational, I think it's fair to say. But um, yeah, you're right. There does feel a lot of depth. And again, with, you know, there's, there's about seven LSU wide receivers, I think. Um, but there's there's so many guys coming out of all of these teams with, uh, with a lot of potential. And you're right. It'll be interesting to see where Robbie goes. And it might well be that he has to take a, a cut to his pay to land somewhere and try and fight for a job. Or maybe he chooses to sit it out until after the draft, although that's always a risky strategy as well. I We skipped over a little thing there. I want to come back to slightly just before we completely move on. We're t- t- talking about Cam Newton going to the Patriots and Jameis Winston going to the Steelers. And I know what you were saying about the, the interceptions and what have you not being a great look. But if you're the Patriots, I think you're looking at Jameis Winston before you're looking at Cam Newton. The reason I think that is the case is I think there is not an injury issue that we're aware of. He has apparently gone and got his eyes fixed because he did have vision issues. He's had them lasered. So right away, you've got not the injury to worry about, but also the upside and the type of team that the Patriots are. I think Cam Newton... For me, he doesn't have the depth of throwing capability to utilize the receiving core that's currently in New England. I think that you need a quarterback that's able to uh, pick his range, can go short, can go deep, can provide that running threat. But there's so much talent in that backfield. 
Cam Newton, who tends to keep the ball more than hand it off, um, even when McCaffrey was there, let's be honest, you know, McCaffrey, McCaffrey didn't see the ball as much as he could have but because Newton kept it and went for it himself, went for the glory. I personally would have Jameis over Cam right now and for the start of next season. Yeah, I mean, I, so I've got two thoughts on that. The first thing is that, I, I mean, I agree 100%. If for if for nothing else, for like the entertainment value of it, you know, there. if you think about it in the NFL, realistically, there are maybe eight to ten quarterbacks who you know year in, year out are going to have you in position whereby, you know, you, you might be in position to win a Super Bowl. And then you've got a bunch of other guys who are more up and down. And Jameis is the type of guy, and I remember talking about this um, on the podcast before the season began, his high-end play has never been in doubt. He can always make all the big throws. The problem is that he can make some awful ones as well. And I mean, you could make you could make a 10-minute highlight video of his terrible throws from last year. His throw to end the season being the pick six against Atlanta was absolutely perfect because um, it just summed up the season so well. But all it takes is a little bit of good fortune and, you know, he could have had 10 less interceptions and that probably leads to three or four more wins. The flip side of that, though, for New England, I I think they're interested in neither of these two. And I think the interesting thing is going to be to see whether or not the Patriots go full tank mode. Because if there's any coach in the NFL who has the ability to sit his owner down and say, we're we're going one in fifteen this year, and you just need to deal with that. It's Bill Belichick because he's got you know six Super Bowls in his back pocket that he can say this is how we're doing this. And I think if you're him and you're sitting there thinking, okay, we no longer have Tom Brady, I know I can build a team. Um, you sit there and say we're going to be terrible this year. We're then going to draft Trevor Lawrence or draft Justin Fields, and I'm then going to build a team around them on a rookie contract where I can spend more money elsewhere. I think he's rubbing his hands with that. See, I find that really interesting. I mean, if if you were Bill Belichick and you went to Robert Kraft to say, I'm signing Jameis Winston, he would suspect they were your safe words and that your family had been taken hostage. So <laughs> I, I, I can't say it now. I, I know exactly where you're going. But Gordon, I'd like to ask you two questions then. The first is, do you think the fans would accept seeing Jameis Winston walk in the door to replace Tom Brady? And the second is, do you think Bill Belichick could stand on the sidelines for 15 of the 16 weeks next season and watch his team get beat? So, I, I mean, the Patriots fans, I think, regardless of what happens, are going to be insufferable this year because they've had it so good for so long. I mean, what, they had the one year where Brady was hurt? Um other than that, they've basically been in the Super Bowl or the championship game what, pretty much every single year. Yep. So they're they're going to be terrible when it comes to that. I, I don't know if Belichick has it in him, if he's the type of guy who's too competitive to be okay losing, or if possibly they've got you know enough solid pieces on that team that you know they would wind up winning five or six games anyway. But I do just think that he's the type of guy who could get away with it. And I could see him thinking to himself, this is how I set us up to win for the next decade. I'm going to jump in again and defend, defend James Winston. I can't believe I'm doing this. Am I drunk? This lockdown's got to my head. Um, <laughs> they, a couple of other reasons I feel like James Winston isn't necessarily even a tanking option here because of his upside, because he has got the potential to throw. I feel like in, in Tampa Bay, that Tampa Bay team has struggled. His offensive line was disappointing all the way through. I feel like even Mike Evans, right? Mike Evans is a great wide receiver, but where Mike Evans plays is he is happy to go up against the cornerback because he's tall and he's strong. He's not necessarily known for his route running. When you're thrown to Mike Evans, a lot of the time he's covered but he's able to get above his man and catch the ball you look at chris godwin chris godwin played on speed played good routes but it was really based on speed explosive down the field stuff um again you come up against a fast cornerback or a safety who can see what's coming they can intercept that there was nothing in the backfield and he didn't have time to make any kind of thought around this the one thing that we've seen for a long time is brady sit in that pocket get protected and make good choices the other thing that he's got is he's got receivers that can make space you've got a great brain in Julian Edelman and Edelman, Edelman's route running he, it doesn't rely on his size or anything like that it doesn't rely on his pace because he's getting a bit older what it relies on is him running an, an intellectual route that results in him finding space if he's able to do that 
and Winston's got the time. He's got the backfield there to hand it off to that's reliable and that can get yards if he needs it. Or he can then choose to find Edelman if Edelman's able to get the separation. Right away, that's an upgrade and less likely to result in any kind of interception. I feel like Mohamed is a similar sort of player. I, I don't think is particularly known for his pace or anything like that. He's strong, fine, but he's the sort of guy that you tend to find, oh, he's managed to get some separation quite short, run a clever route, and there he goes. And Keel Harry, we, we still to figure out what he's all about. Philip Dorsett, I don't particularly rate. But that backfield, they've got James White, they've got Sony Michelle still. They've still got Rex Burkhead and Brandon Bolden. Um, there's depth there as well. So I genuinely feel like it would be a place where Winston's style of play would be suited. He can get down the field, he can play it short, he can run himself, he can hand it off with an offensive line in front of him. I genuinely, if I'm, if I'm Bill Belichick, I'm thinking, do you know what? Let's take a roll on that. Let's Let's pick him up. Let's see how he does in preseason. We've got Jarrett Stindham if we want to then go and tank. We've got Cody Kessler still on the list. And then Brian Hoyer. We all know what he's capable of. Not very much. Spoiler alert. Um, and you've not got anything to lose. I go and give him a contract for a year. Tell him to prove himself. He's going to jump at the chance to go and play the Patriots. He's going to take less money in New England than he is going to take elsewhere. Because it's an opportunity for him to show what he's capable of. I genuinely, I just see so much upside to this. I think it makes a lot of sense, uh, but I'll inevitably be wrong. Be wrong. <laughs> well, well, there's two things. Daytime drinking is a wonderful thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm just going to text your wife and get her to hide those grapefruit-flavoured pale ales that you like. <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> Pin it. <laughs> Here's, right, here's another one. I'm, I'm going to go out with this. If it turns out to be the case, I think Winston would get more wins in New England than Brady will get in Tampa Bay. No, absolutely not. Because <laughs> it's, it's a bum division. It's a bum division. There are too many, too many bad throws he makes, and I, I love watching him play because you're going to get entertainment, and there's going to be some really great throws in there, some huge big downfield throws. But there's also just times where he's just going to not see a linebacker. He's going to not see a linebacker at least once a game. Um, sometimes that's going to result in a pick six. Uh, you know, they're, they're going against a first place schedule. I just don't see how he wins more games in New England if he was to go there than Brady wins in Tampa Bay. Oh, I'm telling you. That's I've written that one down. That's another. <laughs> that's another. That, that could be a chicken wings bet rather than a burger bet, but uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. I, think, I mean, and this is why we love this sport is because I mean we talked about it on the last podcast. I've been talking to a couple of people this week about the influence that a quarterback can change the whole team. You know, Jameis Winston in Tampa Bay, ma, they're a bit. You know, nobody bothers. Second, they signed Tom Brady. You know, everybody wants tickets. Everybody wants to go. And suddenly, Tampa Bay are in prime time. You send Jameis Winston to New England, and the number of one o'clock games on a Sunday there's going to be in New England is going to go up unbelievably. Yeah, no, it's true. Uh, right, before we move on from this, one quick thing I'm going to ask you, Paul, and then we'll move on to the last big name. Uh, Nikhil Roby Coleman is available. Uh, would you have him in New Orleans? after the incident uh yeah i would sign him and uh, i would bench him and when it comes when it comes to and i would probably uh trade him to the pelicans for the season <laughs> okay fine uh no, so the last no, no hard feelings no hard feelings no, at all none whatsoever if i can get over sherman you can get over roby coleman i'm convinced uh the last uh, one though is jadavian uh, Clowney. well i mean the pff have got him going to the colts and i tell you what i think it's a really smart pick if the colts they're going for it they've got to go for it they've got philip rivers for a year they've got a pretty talented team around there you've got to wonder what's going on in houston with Hopkins going and whether they're going to be the same. I think that's where I would go. I think Houston should uh, be worried that the Colts are getting stronger and stronger. I think, so if I was the Ravens, I would be looking at the situation whereby they've got, and probably the same for the Steelers too, actually, they've got um, Matthew Judon and Bud Dupree both franchise tagged. And I think that comes in at something like 17 million a season. So if I was the two of them, I'd probably reach out to Jadavion Clowney and say, your market hasn't been what you want it to be. Here's 17 million. Come to Baltimore, come to Pittsburgh. And, you know, 
you can play for a defense that is going to put you in a position to win. If you're in Pittsburgh, you're playing opposite TJ Watt. If you're in Baltimore, you're in a defense for Wink Martindale puts players in positions where, you know, they can put up some ridiculous sack numbers. They've got the coverage unit behind them. Um, you know, that for me would be a move whereby they have franchise tagged two players that aren't quite as deserving. If you could get Jadavion Clowney for one season on that, he can go, you know, potentially put himself in the playoffs and be with a contender. And then the following year he can cash in, provided he's been able to put up some bigger numbers. Because that's the gamble he took this year and getting traded to the Seahawks. He took the gamble that I'm going to go to Seattle, I'm going to put up big numbers, and then someone's going to sign me to a big money deal. And he just didn't get the sack numbers. And if you're a pass rusher hitting free agency, you have to get the sack numbers if you want to get paid. So I think he probably is going to have to take a lesser deal elsewhere. If I was him just for a season, and then go ball out next year and then sign your big money deal. Yeah, it feels like the Colts... I mean, it would be a major piece towards them being a real contender. I genuinely have them already as winners of the AFC South. Uh, Therefore, they get themselves back into the playoffs, and you just never know. They could very well be a championship game contender. There's a lot of pieces have to fall into place for that to happen, a lot of injuries not to happen. But they've really focused on the the trenches, as you call it, the O-line and the D-line. Picking up DeForest Buckner and giving away the 13th overall is a good piece of business. If you knew at 13 you're getting a DeForest Buckner, you'd be delighted. Uh, Again, sad to see him go. I understand why it had to happen. Um... He's a quality player. Imagine having Jadavian Clowney in that same line. Absolutely monstrous. Absolutely monstrous. Uh, and again, just imagine uh, Deshaun Watson would just retire on the spot, I think, behind that offensive line with those guys coming at you. No. With no one to throw to either. Oh, hand it off to David Johnson. Oh, no, he's broken. So I'll just put it in the ground. Um, sorry, I don't know where that went. Um, but <laughs> um, it would be a, a massive, massive signing. I... I don't know if they've got the cap space to do it or not, but I see the Seahawks coming back to him. I think he stays in Seattle, to be honest. I think he's got that edge to him that Seattle craves. I think that he's exactly the type of player that um, Pete Carroll likes to have in his team, and I think he'll do what he can. He may hope to get him for slightly less so he can go out and add some other pieces, but I think he ends up staying in Seattle. Yeah, I think same with him and Robbie Anderson. I think, like I said, the the market hasn't been what they thought it was going to be. They've not got the big money long-term deals they thought. And I think that probably lends itself to um, their previous team has been able to come back to them and say, you know, look, we're going to, we can give you this deal. It's not quite what you wanted, but it's better than nothing. Um, and I think they then sign deals that um, aren't as valuable. If I was them, I'd just make sure they're short-term deals so that you can cash in at some point. Yeah, Absolutely. Right, so we'll be sure to cover all of the remaining pieces still to happen. This is not the end of it. And to be honest, these teams have got nothing else to do. I reckon we might see some other trades coming down the line as well. But yes, on from there. Uh, And Paul, I think we're going to be talking about something that uh, one of our listeners suggested that we pick up. Yeah, it's good that we've got Gordon here. He's probably the best guy to to explain it. We've we've been asked, how do the the fixtures work? How do the the NFL decide who you're playing? Because it's it's not the same fixture list every year. So, Gordon, can you you give us a wee brief run-through of of how the NFL works its schedule? Yeah, there's two two kind of elements to this. The, The basic schedule works in that, the way most people understand you play everyone in your division twice so that takes up six of your six of your games you then play um, an entire division in the opposing conference that's another four getting you to 10 you then play um, another entire division in your conference which takes you to 14 and then the other two the two divisions in your conference that you don't play um, you play the team that finished at the same position as you did last year. So if you finish first, you play the two first-place teams. Uh, If you finish third, you play the two third-place teams. What's really interesting, though, is that the NFL builds the whole schedule um, on a computer system, and you know they wind up with multiple different schedules that the computer spits out based on um, various things that include uh, what, which teams you have to play that year based on the scheduling, um, what, which games you can't play because you either if there's no one that shares a baseball stadium now but there's teams that share a car park i know in baltimore the orioles and ravens um the parking space winds up being the same so they can't play on the same day in the same uh, stadium 
So all these things get all factored in. The computer then spits out these schedules, um, and the schedule makers then sit down and pour through all them, make sure there's no mistakes, make sure the bye weeks all add up, um, and then move things into like primetime games and things like that. See, that's interesting because some of that is technical and some of that is, it, it requires that human touch, doesn't it? Because what you wouldn't want to do, Gordon, is to have, say, six top-class matchups in the same week because, you know, they would all be sort of fought over for Sunday night football or Monday night football and we'd end up perhaps not getting some of the better games shown on the network TV. Yeah, and I mean, I suppose the way to look at it is there's an alternate reality whereby uh, Monday night football people are treated to the Browns against the Bills or something that's, uh, you know, teams that haven't traditionally been, you know, one of the best teams in the NFL. And you know, what the NFL are trying to do is make sure that they um, spread out the exciting games. Uh, they want to make what could be potentially division deciding games late in the season um, and put all the top games into prime time just so that they can focus their viewers where they want them to. And it's interesting, I think, Cameron, you mentioned, you know, when we were talking earlier, you know, you've got to look at if Jameis Winston does go to the Patriots, he's playing a first place schedule. So, you know, there's some tough teams, you know, one, you know, one on one. And that that could be really difficult for him if he went there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it, it, do you know it's an interesting one as well when you were chatting about the teams that finished first playing other teams that finished first, which you you tend to immediately flag as those headline games. The thing that interests me in that is is the situation in New England where if they end up having a bit of an off season, you could result in the situation where they've got a bunch of TV scheduled games. And actually, when you come round to the season, they don't deserve to be in that place. We kind of saw that last year with the Browns, who felt like they were on TV a lot. Now, for us, it was great because we got to see Jamie Gillen play. But to be honest, the Browns weren't a contender by about week three. Um, and, you know, it was just another disappointing season for them. So it's it's a challenge that the TV guys have to make because obviously there's a, there's a call to make these decisions pretty early. Uh, and like you say, it puts a lot of pressure on if it's not Jameis Winston that's in New England, you know, young Stidham or anything like that. Uh, if a young rookie comes into the, a position there, then it's a tough place to do it and do it on the biggest platform of them all. Indeed. But I mean, I, I like the way they do it. I think that, you know, they try and make it fair. So, you know, if you're a fourth place team one year, you're suddenly not going to draw well, in theory, all the big teams from the previous season. So you've got a bit of a chance of bouncing back. Yeah, it's and the other thing that's important, the other thing that's important for the NFL's perspective is uh, making sure the Cowboys are in that afternoon slot with as few um, things as possible. You'll always see those late afternoon games, especially kind of once bye week start. The Cowboys are sometimes in a slate that there's only like one or two games them to go up against, and that I think that's because you know, Fox know that that's where the market is for them to, you know, the Cowboys don't need to be a good football team for them to be generating a ton of views. Um, so you'll always see them in that kind of late afternoon slot um, or prime time just because the NFL and the networks know people are going to tune in to watch the Cowboys. It's the same to can be said of the whole NFC East, to be honest, at times, isn't it? feels like a lot of those games end up on TV, but it's because it's a division that draws crowds regardless. Yeah, and I, I mean, I can have some sympathy for that. I mean, we, we get a little bit fed up of it over here. You know, if you're watching, you know, Dallas against Washington, which might mean sort of two things. One is he and one is Haw. So you're not really that enamored by it. And Sky, again, tend to pick those games, and that's not a criticism of Sky. But, you know, the lesser game that might be going on a West Coast game might actually be a better game to watch. So, yeah, I, I fully understand the television side of it. And if I'm being consistent, because I understand how Sky work over here, I understand the likes of Premier Sports when they pick Rangers and Celtic in the Scottish Cup. I know it drives people daft, but that gets subscriptions for them. In terms of Fox, it gets viewers. Viewers gets advertising revenue, and advertising revenue means profit. So I, I won't criticise that. And I suppose that if you're in your local market, as long as you can always see your local team, that, that's not too bad. Yes, indeed. So, anything else we want to cover on fixture list then, or do you think we've do you think we've rounded that off nicely? I think we have. We're, we're professional. We can do that. Indeed. Right. So, on to the news then, and I'm going to kick this off um, because one of the things that we didn't cover 
in our free agency chat was a new thing this season where free agents are now available from the XFL because, of course, their season has finished early due to coronavirus. So as far as I can see, there are three players so far that have been snapped up from the XFL. The first, and it doesn't come as any surprise for anyone that watched it, was P.J. Walker, the quarterback for the Houston Roughnecks, has been given a two-year contract by the Carolina Panthers. Um, a, a fairly decent contract for someone that was, a, in essence, a free agent that hadn't been playing in the NFL. We're not talking millions here, but um, anyone that watched him knows he's very capable of... Uh, the exciting plays, so a great opportunity for him to try and win a starting job. Um, out of the St. Louis Battlehawks, the throw-in Samoan, Jordan Taamu, he had a pretty decent uh, year as well. He's ended up at the Kansas City Chiefs, so an opportunity for him to go in there and win the backup job. And then the New Orleans Saints have signed uh, Roughnecks cornerback and interception leader Deatric Nichols to a one-year contract. So we're already starting to see some of those XFL guys getting snapped up. Yeah, I mean, I'm quite happy the Saints have signed. that. It's always a very difficult position for the Saints, so I'm quite happy with that. I mean, they're talking about Storm Norton, who's the offensive tackle with the LA Wildcats, is possibly up for a deal. Uh, the Houston Roughnecks wide receiver Cam Phillips, I thought, had a pretty good season. He was start of the week one week, so that's certainly a possibility. And you also, look, you know, look, you look at the, the defense, Cedric Reed. Uh, from LA also got some good press so I mean I guess Gordon I mean if you can walk in with decent numbers and showing that you've done it you know you can have a nice little highlight reel coming off your XFL career. Yeah and I think that you know we saw it work that way for the AAF um, and now it's the same for the XFL I think uh, it was the right move by them to allow players to sign because originally it was it was going to be into April but when they made the decision to, to end the season because of coronavirus um, it was the right call by them um, and I think the interesting thing with PJ Walker going to uh, Carolina that a lot of people might not realize is Matt Rule the new Panthers head coach uh, he came from Baylor but before Baylor he was at Temple um, and his quarterback at Temple was PJ Walker so that's where the the connection from from there um, links up. I don't think he's going to come in and um, steal Teddy Bridgewater's chance at the starting job there. They're paying Bridgewater too much that unless he was to come in and be really poor, um, he's going to struggle there. Uh, he's going to struggle to kind of crack the starting lineup, but he does have good knowledge of what Matt Rule likes to do. So he can potentially help Bridgewater learn that system a little bit um, and also then, you know, win the starting job because they they went and traded Kyle Allen to the Redskins shortly after that, um, which means the backup job is between uh, Will Greer um, and Walker. And I think as much as we at PFF loved Greer in college, what we saw from him in preseason last year was really bad. Um, <laughs> so unless he unless he takes a big step forward, it's unlikely that, you know, he's going to be winning the backup job there. That was a polite way of saying pish. Um, he was re- I mean, it was dreadful. It was... <laughs> Um, the other news then that I'm going to put forward that's uh, come out and it's probably been the worst kept secret because it got leaked all over social media is the LA Rams have changed their logo not for the first time, won't be the last time uh, but I'm assuming you've both seen it what are the initial thoughts? I mean a lot of people have been unkindly saying it's like the kind of logo you would have on an unlicensed NFL game Um, you know one that doesn't carry the proper you know Madden branding or something like that and i have to say they're absolutely right it's horrific um <laughs> it, it it just is i mean i i used to work for standard life and standard life just had a nice normal logo for a while then they brought out one that looked like oh, it was just this hideous little watermark that you know the usual thing is yes we, we had it branded we checked it's it's not blue and yellow it's sky something or other in maize and it was just horrendous you if you'd asked a primary five class to draw a logo they would have come up with what standard life came up with at the time this looks like it's a secondary school art class that's been asked to do it but i don't like it i don't really think it gives you any punch or pizzazz it looks a bit naff um but you know, how will it then trend on to T-shirts? Will it look good on T-shirts? What's the uniform going to look like? How are they using it on the helmet? What's the colour scheme? That kind of thing I'd like to know a little bit more about. But just on the actual logo itself, it's a no from me. 
yeah, if I was them, I wouldn't be changing the um, I, I wouldn't be changing the the helmets from what they have. I think the little kind of swish style. Um, I'm guessing they're going to go with the 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 color scheme that they have on the new logo. Um, but that style of helmet, I think, worked great. The the one thing I'll say, and I'm going to apologize to everyone now because someone said this to me, and it's all I can see every time I look at the logo now since they told me. But if you can look at this logo and not see Donald Trump. <laughs> it is it's all i can see now someone said it and it's that little swish back of the hair the the thing being pulled back oh. i cannot look at that a without seeing donald trump now you know i'm looking at it right now and i have to say and i have to say it's the greatest greatest logo in the history of logos when it comes to logos nobody does logos better than me <laughs> uh, and in terms of logos this is the best bestest greatest ever logo because that's who I am. I, 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 I hadn't seen it, but now I can't unsee it. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, see, I think God. the other one, the actual ram's head as well. Um, I, I don't know if this is actually legit or not. I, I think it is. Um, so they've no, got... I, I, Is that not somebody's come up with a, a redesigned look? Oh, is that I what think that I, is? I, I'm looking at it as well. Uh, just having a look, it looks a lot like, uh, yeah, some designers have shown off their work. Um, this is according to US Today, which I've just Googled. So this looks like a sort of ram side yeah. on. Yeah, yeah, like sorry. It is, a fans, the... it is a fan's yeah. redo. I didn't like that one right away because I think the front of the ram's head looks like a traditional cock and bollocks drawing. Um, <laughs> so I don't think that's it, any better. It looks satanic as well. <laughs> it does look satanic. It does look satanic, but the Donald Trump logo, man, that is absolutely <laughs> brilliant. So now the Chargers, to be fair, are going to have to come up with a Joe Biden uh, logo. <laughs> yeah. He's the Democratic challenger. So what you're possibly looking at, they'll either do one of two things. They'll either say they can't remember where they put it or it'll be a Zimmer frame. <laughs> the, the other thing I think with this logo is I can't remember anything in american football the the closest thing i would compare this to in terms of the rest of the league just destroying you on social media was when in scottish football partick thistle unveiled kingsley um and he's obviously become this now like lovable figure in scottish football because everyone laughed about it at first i just don't see the nfl ever adapting to this rams logo and you know and and seeing the funny side of it i think this is going to be something people are going to torture the rams about for a good while oh i uh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, Kingsley looks like what you think the coronavirus would look like. So, <laughs> you know, you're good on them for that. But uh, I've just come across an article which I might retweet. It's the worst logo changes in NFL history, ranked from 32 to 1, but brackets Rams being number 1, which I think is really funny. Uh, this only came out about uh, 20 hours ago and it's by Christopher Powers on the loop but I just think that's brilliant they don't even want you to go through it all you know it's not clickbait that you've got to go through and work it out they're actually telling you actually the worst logo overall is is the Rams don't worry about it we'll, we'll show you all the others I mean there's been some subtle changes when you look around I mean the Washington Redskins turned their logo around you know flipped it from looking to the left to looking to the right you know they've done little things like that you get a, occasional touches i mean the steelers put basically a black circle around their logo for for definition the saints changed their logo it was a black fleur de lis to you know now the gold we know with the white and the black around it to make it more stand off the one that has never worked for me and probably the worst one was the falcons when it was all in black i could never see the falcon in it you know, with a sort of one wing down and the head poking up. Now, they've, they've tried to make that. I th thought that was a good change, adding on the red, and you can get the idea of a bird. I mean, the Raiders Pirate had a, an upgrade. The San Francisco had an upgrade as well. The Seahawks, I thought Seahawks did it fairly successfully, although I would have used the original colour of blue because I preferred that. Uh, the Lions have changed. The Panthers have changed. Um, so, I mean, lots and lots of people have changed. The Giants went from the Giants name just to New York. I mean, the previous Kansas City Chiefs logo, if nobody has seen that, basically that's an, an Indian with a tomahawk running through the state. And all he's got is a tiny little pouch that says KC. So they went to the Arrowhead logo instead. The original Baltimore logo had these horrendous wings on either side. That was fairly dreadful. The Jags one 
was designed by a primary school as well, the initial <laughs> head. Um, the Jets one with the, with the jet on it, I actually quite liked, to be fair. The Eagles went for a much more aggressive head. The Bills went for a much more aggressive Bills. Now, did any of you know that the Cleveland Browns used to have a logo which was a leprechaun? Yeah, and it, the, the leprechaun's cool in yeah. comparison with... <laughs> horrible orange helmets or just the word browns or just you, you they had a they had a mascot and they had you know something that was i, I mean it's in no way tied to the name browns but or i Cleveland. mean i think that looks better yeah <laughs> so so the worst one or for america me, uh, <laughs> or, uh, yeah well nothing nothing says cleveland more than we <laughs> leprechaun as, uh, as you well know the one that annoyed me the most because my favorite logo out of any nfl was the Houston Oilers, the, the oil rig. The blue oil rig with the red round it, to me, was one of the most outstanding logos. Now, I know the Titans had to change it because they obviously became the Titans from the Oilers, but I think the Titans the are one of them. Memphis. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> was, it was a dreadful logo. The Titans are a horrible, horrible logo. The Dolphins had a fairly decent change, I thought, although losing the Miami helmet wasn't overly popular. Uh, Denver... I thought of a, one of the best redesigns. That's a really aggressive-looking logo. New England, of course, went from the Minuteman uh, to the sort of headshot that we get today. Tampa Bay, I, I, I love that old buccaneer, you know, with the, the feather on the hat and the knife uh, in the teeth. I hate the flag, always have done. I think it's it's pretty naff. But even that, the Rams has, have destroyed, to me, what is an iconic look. I really liked the Ram with a helmet, the one that they were using to go to the Donald Trump hair flip is just a big no. <laughs> I Yeah, I, I have to say I agree. Um, and before I move on, I'm just going to say I said Memphis there. Of course, the Titans play in uh, Nashville, not Memphis. But never mind. It, indeed. It was a joke. But, but someone will correct me. We know how this podcast goes, Paul. We've been there before. Um, yeah, I think it's a bit naff. Interesting to note that the 49ers changed their logo in about, I think it was 91. Um Certainly it's early 90s, and they redesigned it. And it was still written as 49ers, but it was in kind of weird 90s font. Uh, it didn't go down well. And I'm not sure that the 49ers ever actually played in it. Uh, they launched no, that, that, it. It, it. It got bounced. It got bounced yeah. fairly, fairly quickly. Um, and that's where fan power comes in. I mean, I could understand the Donald Trump logo if it was in a Republican heartland, but you're also in sort of California. So if you're going to offend people, that's possibly the best place to go and do it. But yeah, I now cannot, I'm looking at the logo again, having looked at every other logo, I cannot unsee the Donald Trump logo. And it is the greatest, the best, most fantastic uh, logo, the bestest that anybody ever had. <laughs> right. Anything else to add before we wrap up then? Um, no, I, th I think, you know, some teams are trying to keep engaged with, with their fan bases. And I think it'll be interesting just over the next few weeks to see you can do that the best. I mean, obviously, you've got all the draft things and things like that. But it's interesting to see how teams are trying to just, you know, keep their fans engaged. I mean, we're currently locked down in the UK. They're certainly on the coast of America. You know, more lockdown might come. And it's just interesting to see the social media content they're just trying to keep people entertained with well it's funny you say that because as he you know the self-announced social media manager for pff is currently sitting with us on this podcast gordon we've talked about this on the pod before and we're now going to hand this baton on to you we believe that the nfl draft should be extended and run over every single night for a week let's get nfl content every single day for seven days so there you go challenge set get on that pff channel and start spreading the word campaign let's get a petition on the go we want the nfl draft to be done one round per night for seven nights let's get nfl content it would be great we could have more time to analyze who these sixth round picks are more chat about could it be another tom brady because we don't get enough of that every year but you know no genuinely there would be great to get more uh, content, more insight, more analysis about these players because there's not a lot else going on. Uh, Gordon, that is your challenge. Yeah, I mean, I, I personally would love it. I don't think they're going to do that. But as long as they started with the first round on either Thursday or the Friday night and then, you know, push that forward the rest of the week, I'd be all for that. Um, the, other, the other good thing with that is if you do uh, one round per night, 
especially with the speed that the sixth and seventh rounds move in, you know, I could get to my bed before five, six AM on the in the fall of the draft, which I'm all for. So I, I quite like if anybody's watched Brooklyn ninety nine, I'm stealing a line, but Seven Nights in Vegas sounds like the name of your sex tape, Cameron. <laughs> I can't believe hang on a minute. Brooklyn ninety nine. It's not what it's called, it's Brooklyn nine nine. Well I'm- <laughs> Okay then, be picky. Two nines together. It's a police piece. It's not an ice cream, so you know. Well, exactly. But if anybody's watched it, they understand the the joke that comes from that. So absolutely, nothing, nothing if not you know, aware aware of American television. Superb. Right. Well, just on the bombshell as well that Kyle Allen managed to get the Panthers a fifth round pick. Cam Newton got them deadly squat. Um, we will wrap up episode 91 and that is the full time whistle for this episode thank you for taking the time to listen please continue to share your thoughts on this episode via twitter at scotlandnfl and on facebook by searching for nfl scotland we're growing all the time but we need your help to keep that up we appreciate every retweet and every share Please keep doing that. And if you've got time, and let's be honest, who doesn't at the moment, please leave us a really good review on iTunes. Be a big help. No excuses not to. We'll keep trying to produce podcasts over the coming weeks. But to ensure that we don't run out of things to talk about, do let us know of any areas you'd like to hear us cover. We've also got some exciting interviews lined up, and there might be a few more added to that as people are kind of not doing what they normally do. So we're looking to get them done, share them with you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for Gordon for joining us. Thank you also for taking the time to share your thoughts, get your topic suggestions in, and until next time, bye for now.